Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. And welcome into the Hard Count, the people's show. For every single thing you know that you love about college football, man, let's go. All the time for talking is behind us. It's playoff time, man. It's about to go down. You got the Fiesta, you got the Peach Bowl. It's going to be a real good time. We already got our predictions and our preview out for you, so make sure you go and check those out. But we're going to get into the nitty gritty in this show, this edition of The Hard Camp. But we're so glad that you're rocking with us. Whether you're watching right now on YouTube, whether you're listening on podcasts, on Apple or Spotify, we're glad to have you here. I feel like we have slowly but surely built something really special here that's going to continue to, to, to grow. But I mean, this show in general, I believe, is a community. A community of people very much like myself, like you watching right now, you are just in love with college football and all that it presents. The, the rivalries, the pageantry, even the bowl games. I mean, I have heard so much over the last few weeks leading into bowl season, meaningless bowl game. Look, he opted out, he opted out, he opted out. I mean, that's like what, 3% of the population, 3% of players. I'm watching these bowl games last night. I'm watching these coaches getting hyped. I'm watching these players getting juiced up after a victory, the Gatorade bath, like all that. These bowl games matter, okay? And college football year-round matters to you and matters to me. So from the bottom of my heart, from all of us here at On3, from Nick Brake, from myself to you watching right now, to you listening right now, thank you very much. We got a big show lined up. Kayshawn Butte said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and hit the NFL, which is a little bit surprising because he had just said a few weeks ago, I'm so excited to come back, to come back and do what all LSU football players aspire to and win a national championship and then last night comes out he's going to go to the nfl we're going to talk about that in its entirety give you our thoughts feelings concerns 
and overall opinion. Then in this episode, we've given you our prediction already. But like I said, we're going to get a little more into the nitty gritty. I'm a football guy. Got to play the game at the collegiate level. Love watching it. Love studying it. We don't have the capabilities right now to draw up on video anything X's to no standpoint, but I'm going to tell you the game plan for both of these programs in terms of how they're going to approach the opposition offensively and defensively. That'll be in the Peach Bowl as well as the Fiesta Bowl a little bit later in the show. So for Michigan and TCU, for Georgia and Ohio State, I'm going to tell you how I think they're going to attack the other. Should be a whole lot of fun there. Deion Sanders is doing what we knew he would. He is balling. In the portal, they've got 15 guys transferred in, <clears throat> 10 guys transferred out. Number two portal class currently, at the time of us being live, according to the On3 transfer portal rankings. Going to give you my thoughts on that, because there is more than what meets the eye. Yes, you got Travis Hunter. Yes, his son's playing quarterback like we knew he would. But there's a little bit more to that portal class ranking that I think we need to address. Also, at the end of this thing, before we kick open the door and y'all join the party like you already have right now. But before we do that, I want to talk about Michigan because since last year, they have been, not since last year, but especially last year, it's really been on the radar of, hey, what if Michigan wins a national championship? And I think we need to start having this conversation of what that would mean for the Michigan program and just the college football landscape in general. A lot to unpack with that one. And like I said, at the end of the party, Really when the party starts, honestly, is when y'all jump in here, hit the live chat. Nick Bray, keeper of the queue. He was snowed in. He's no longer snowed in. He is back live and living color. Going to make sure we get to all your questions as effectively and as efficiently as possible. But if you haven't asked a question yet, now is the time. Okay, so jump in the live chat. Hit us with your question. We will have a better capability of answering those if you get those in right now. We waste no time. There's a lot to get to, so let's get after it. Kayshawn Butte is headed to the NFL. And if you were just reading this headline after not watching college football for the last year, not even, I'll, I'll walk that back. If you have just not followed college football since December 1st, you drop back in, you say, Kayshawn Boots is heading to the NFL. You say, that makes a whole lot of sense. Probably going to get drafted really high. Probably one of the better receivers in this draft. Good for him. Go make some money. Well, for those of us that have been tuned in the duration of this college football season up to and including last night, this is a little bit confusing because he had said earlier in the month, you know what, I'm so excited to run it back for one more year at LSU and go and try and win a national championship, this kind of unfinished business sort of mindset. This is a little bit surprising. It all started, for me at least, the red flag went up when it became public that he wasn't going to be playing in the Citrus Bowl. The way it was worded from LSU was he would be unavailable. So, okay, that's a little bit funky. And then you backtrack even further to what Brian Kelly said about he and Keishon Butte's relationship after he decided he was coming back, and he said it's still evolving. That language, I think, is very interesting. Because the question was, hey, tell us about you and Keishon Butte's relationship and how that's developed since he's been at LSU, or since you've been at LSU, rather. And to me, that reporter just took a softball question, put it on the tee, and said, Brian Kelly, knock this out of the park. Tell us how happy you are that he's coming back. Tell us about how good your relationship is now since he scrubbed his social media, and just tell us all the good things. Give me a headline. And you say evolving? 
Evolving means it's not there yet. Evolving means it's progressing, it's getting there. But tell you what, if I tell you that my best friend and I have an evolving relationship, we're probably not best friends. And I'm not even asking Brian Kelly and Keishon Butte to be best friends, but in a moment where at that point in time, he decided to come back to LSU and you use the verbiage evolving, I don't know anything. I don't have any insight. I'm not within that locker room, but I have a hard time believing that it was just the smoothest of sailing between Brian Kelly and Keishon Butte. Again, I don't know anything. I could be way off base there, but I'm just saying, I think that's a little bit intriguing in terms of the verbiage that he uses right there. The other thing that I think is confusing about this, the reasons why Keishon Butte said he was coming back was to try and win a national title. Every reason he cited to come back to LSU were about his team. Nothing changed in three weeks, dude. Y'all didn't play a game. Far be it for me to question Kayshawn Butte's decision-making, but the reasoning for coming back didn't change. It'd be one thing if, okay, you know what, Jane Daniels is going to the NFL. I think we have a better chance to be, I think we have a better chance winning with Jane Daniels on our team. Maybe that's how he felt. And if he did feel that way and Jane Daniels leaves, then I think you're allowed to reassess a little bit as a wide receiver. But nothing within the roster really drastically changed. Brian Kelly's still the head coach, still going to have the same OC. Team will look roughly the same as when you decided you were going to come back. So this is a little bit of a head scratcher to me. I don't know all that went into this, but to say you were going to come back and then decide you're not going to come back feels like something would have had to happen internally. I'm speculating very much so. I want to make sure that's clear. I don't have any inside reporting, but that's just the way that this feels to me, starting with the whole Citrus Bowl being unavailable thing. Okay? If you haven't yet subscribed, now is the time. We have had, I would say, upwards of 4,000 of you from the LSU faithful alone join us this past season. We're so glad you're here. We got you covered 12 months out of the year. College football is a year-round sport. We covered accordingly. So come join the party. Come join the program. We're going to keep this thing moving forward in the right direction. Also, follow me on Instagram and Twitter to stay up with everything we're doing here. A lot of interaction there that we can incorporate into this show. All right? So there's another facet of this. Yes, it's confusing. Yes, it doesn't really add up. It, it, it feels a little bit funky to me. But here's the other part of that. When all the dust settles on Keishon Butte's decision to leave for the NFL, like in a few months from now we're talking about this, it makes a lot of sense. This wasn't the staff that recruited him that he committed to when he decided to go be an LSU Tiger. This wasn't the, the program that he signed up for from a staff perspective, okay? So that's one. Also, he wasn't really getting the targets that a receiver of his caliber probably deserves. Some of that's a first-year staff, and some of that is his role in the offense. There's a lot of different variables that go into that. But if you're supposed to be one of the top receivers drafted and you only have 40-ish catches on the year, I understand that. Why would you come back and have a similar stat line? Or even more so, you're going to tell me you're going to get 50 catches or 60 catches next year. Like, maybe that sweetens it for me a little bit, but I haven't seen that in this offense. I don't feel confident that's going to happen based on this season. So if I'm Keishon Butte, I'm saying, all right, you know what? I, I appreciate everything y'all did here. But really, my NFL draft stock is probably as high as it's going to be. I'm going to go ahead and take the money on the table and do what's best for me and my family. And that's the other thing. The reason why I'm actually okay with this, the timeline is weird. I wish you had said this originally. I wish you had just let us know 
off the top that, hey, I'm going to the NFL. I don't think there's quite as much confusion, and maybe this isn't quite a story. But honestly, here's my rule. When you have a family, it's time to be a pro at anything you're doing. Kayshawn Butte just had a child this past season. It's time to go be a pro. You don't need to be worrying about class. You don't need to be worrying about showing up for different things that have to do with college life, whether it's you know tutoring sessions or study hall, whatever it is. When you have a family, you got mouths to feed, it's time to be a pro. I'll give you a quick personal story on this. For me, I was fortunate enough to have an eight to five job and also be able to do this kind of thing on the side. So I'd go do my lunch break and go hit a couple videos, knock those out, come back to my job, finish at the office. That was my ebb and flow for a while. And I loved it. And it was a great setup. But the reality was I knew that when I got married, it would be time to become a pro. At one of those things, whether it was continuing to grind on the YouTube channel or whether I just full-fledged commit to the office life, like when you have somebody else counting on you, your profession becomes a little bit more important. And so for Kayshawn Butte, you got a mouth to feed, man. I, I respect it. Go and be all that you can be in the NFL and become a professional. So I think, honestly, that's something that we're going to look at over the course of time and say, you know what? Was it executed perfectly? Probably not. Would you, if you're Kayshawn Butte, even if you had a chance to do it over, would you do it differently? I think so. But you can't fault the guy for wanting to become a professional, for wanting to be at the, the most elite level of what he loves doing. He now has a chance to do, and he's going to go do it, as everybody knew he would at some point in time, whether it was this year or next year. Nobody had doubts that Kayshawn Butte was going to play for an NFL football team. So in the long run, where is LSU at now? You're without Kayshawn Butte, who, like we've said, at nauseum, is an elite talent. Here's the thing, though. I think LSU is actually going to be okay. Do you ever want to lose a talented piece like Kayshawn Butte? Of course not. There's no such thing as addition by subtraction when it comes to a talent like Kayshawn Butte. You have a pretty talented wide receiver room that I think has a chance to be really, really good in the years to come. A couple of names that I think will need to step up in this coming year. Malik Neighbors was your leading receiver this past year to the tune of 63 receptions, 854 yards, two touchdowns. I think he has to take that next step. He was phenomenal this year. If he can take the next step for LSU, I think that helps soften the loss of someone like Kayshawn Butte. Brian Thomas, a guy they're really excited down there. Six foot four, 210 pounds, 27 catches this year. He's a great physical presence, can really help you in the red zone, especially with the way that he's just a problem from a mismatch perspective that just can't be solved with his size. I think he's a guy that has to take that next step, and I imagine that he will in this offense from Mike Denbrock. Here's a name that a lot of LSU fans are fired up about, and for good reason. Five-star Shelton Sampson Jr. He is... According to us here at On3, a top five receiver in the entire country. All 50 states, count him up. You're not finding many better than him. He has a unique blend of size and speed. He's been clocked at sub 4'4", four four, and he's also six foot four. Okay, so that size and catch radius mixed with that elite athleticism are going to make him a problem. I'm not in those coaching staff meetings. I'm not on the call with Shelton Sampson and Mike Denbrock, but I would imagine there is going to be more of an opportunity for him now to play early, if that wasn't already the plan for him. 
So the deal for LSU is schematically, you were sort of a pass second team. You would run to set up the pass. And that's great. That's, I mean, if that's who you want to be, that's phenomenal. You played for the SEC title last year. Obviously, it works to a degree. And if these guys can step up for you, I think you're in Kendrick Lamar mode. I really do. I think we're going to be all right. That's what I'm saying if I'm in that locker room. Do you ever want to lose Keishon Butte? Of course not. But with the guys that you have available and with the kind of offense you run, we're going to be all right. Okay? So for LSU, Keishon Butte, I'm sure everyone in Baton Rouge and beyond wishes him the best. Unfortunate, the series of events that led up to this with saying he was going to come back and then changing his mind. We're all human. We're all just doing our best here. Keishon Butte. From us here at the Hard Count in our program, wishing you nothing but the best. But Keishon Butte is headed to the NFL. And that's a cool thing in itself with college football. Everyone talks about signing day and how awesome that is. And I'm all about that, putting pen to paper, making your dreams come true that you had as a kid to go play college football. That's special. But the bookend of that and getting to see that graphic pop up on the Twitter feed and see, I'm so excited to announce I will be entering the 20. 20 blank NFL draft like that's special man and I think most fan bases while it's bittersweet the sweet part of it really does last the longest of wow that was a guy that came to our program that gave us his best for however many years and is now going to accomplish his goals good for him good for Keishon Butte. let's get a little bit of electrolytes here Nick what do you say if you're not yet subscribed would love to have you at the party now's the time all right we're in playoff mode. we got to stay hydrated. For those of you watching on YouTube, a little Pedialyte. For those listening on the podcast, we're good to go. All right. The Peach Bowl is about to get rolling here. New Year's Eve. It'll be in Atlanta. Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Beautiful venue, by the way. I mean, it is just first class, first rate, everything down there. We got Georgia and Ohio State set to tee it up. We have already given you our prediction in this game. So if you haven't yet gone and checked that out, go ahead and do that after the live show, of course, after you watch this video, go and check out the prediction. But the reality of it is everybody has a way they think it could go conceptually and they have opinions on players and this, that, and the other. That's cool. We partake in that 100%. But I would just say this, a lot of the game is X's and O's. And so what I want to break down for us right now, what is the game plan for both of these teams, offensively and defensively, for both operations, what is going to be the plan of attack? So we'll start here with Georgia. The Georgia defense is one of the best in the country, and they have their work cut out for them against Ohio State. It's no secret. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to make a whole lot of money in the NFL when that time comes. C.J. Stroud, same deal. Going to be a millionaire because of what he can do slinging the pigskin. So defensively for Georgia, how do you match up, especially in that secondary? Everybody's talking about the 500 yards they gave up against LSU and how bad that was for that secondary. And, oh, is that a weakness for them? If you want to talk yourself into that being a weakness, I think that's reaching a little bit. Is it an area of opportunity? Yes, but not for the reasons that I think the majority of the public believe it is. Here's the deal for Georgia. Defensively, they're going to let you have pretty much whatever you want underneath. Now, when I say underneath, what does that mean? They're going to play a lot of soft zone coverage. So when you're watching this game at home, here's what to look for. You're going to see the corners 
with their back to the sideline. And you're going to see them probably three to four yards off the ball, if not more. So what does that tell you if you're the offense? Hey, you get whatever green grass is in front of you, but we're not letting the big play happen. The only exception to this is with Keely Ringo. He is their number one corner, and they let him play like it. They let him go man up against the best receiver. So keep an eye on that for number five with Keely Ringo and what he does against Marvin Harrison Jr. and how much they play that way. Michigan actually did that relatively well in the early going, kind of got beat a few times, but for the most part, it's going to be take what's in front of you, but we're not letting you get more than that. And then when it gets to the red zone for this Georgia secondary, they go man coverage. And what does that tell you if you're the opposition? Hey, in a street fight, we like our guys versus your guys. We're going to go man coverage across the board. And if you beat us, good for you. But guess what? We recruit better than anybody else in the country. We develop just as well as anybody else in the country. We're going to let our guys play. And if you beat us, you beat us. But that would be the way that you win is routinely beating this team one-on-one in the red zone. That's one way to win, rather. For the Ohio State offense, you look at that and you say, okay, they're going to you know, kind of give us that soft zone. Oh, we got some freak shows. Starting with Marvin Harrison Jr., he is a dude. Julian Fleming, he is a dude. And the goal for Ohio State then is, okay, get the ball out. Get the ball out to our players in space. And then when they try to rally up in that zone coverage kind of look, we got to beat them with speed. We got to get what we call in the football world, yak. I told you, we, we love acronyms in the football world. Yak is Y-A-C, yards after catch. So when you catch that button hook at five yards, make it 15. Break a tackle, get around the edge, make something happen. I think this game could come down to, at least in the early going, making plays in space for Ohio State and for Georgia being able to tackle consistently. Let me tell you this. If you don't tackle Marvin Harrison at your first shot at it, boy, could be a long day. Could be a very long day. All right? So that's going to be something that's interesting to watch. The game between the 20s, and then when you get in the red zone against Georgia, can you make them pay? Can you capitalize on on that street fight mentality they're asking you to play on the back end. All right? Switching gears here. If you haven't yet subscribed, now's the time. We would love, we would love to have you at this operation, at this function, all right? This is a party for college football fans. We don't care who you root for. We love this game just like you. We cover it year-round, just like you pay attention to it all year-round. You found your spot. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, a great way for us to interact and do more of what you want to see on this program. So when Georgia has the football, how's it going to go down? You're going to see a lot of 12 personnel. So what that means is you're going to see one running back and two tight ends. More than likely, Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. Why is that significant? Well, when you have two big human beings like Darnell Washington, who's essentially a tackle that can run, and then Brock Bowers, who is an action figure. You have to be able to match their mass, if that makes sense. Like, I can't have Brock Bowers matched up against a free safety. It's, it's, it's a mismatch. Like, I can run with him, yes, but in the run game, when he comes to block me, that's advantage Georgia every single time. We have to match the physicality from a mass perspective to be able to account for the run game. So what does that do for Georgia? Well, if you have to worry about the run game and trying to you know, beat the block of Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington with those lighter players, 
well, then at that point, we can just run the football at you all day long. We can just get downhill quick, fast, and in a hurry. When I say downhill, Georgia likes to run a two-variety consistently when it comes to how they run the football. The first is inside zone. And to make it as simplistic as possible, they're going to allow their big human beings to take you wherever you want to go. So you want to run left against us as a defensive line, we're going to push you left. And we're going to let our running back just cut off our tail. It's the way it goes. Second thing I like to do is run a, a fair amount of pulling offensive linemen and get on the perimeter. You'll see them toss it out to the running back and see that guard come around with them just like a personal bodyguard, and they will get downhill. And that's bad for business because typically for Georgia, they're able to get their offensive linemen on an outside linebacker or on a safety or when it's a rated R situation, a lineman on a corner. Don't, don't let your children watch if that ends up happening. So the reality for Georgia, we're going to be who we want to be until you make us stop it. And then when you want to try and match up with us with our big bodies and you say, okay, you know what? Let's go and put the more mass on the field. Let's put a linebacker in there. <sighs> Linebacker's not covering Brock Bowers. Linebacker's not covering Darnell Washington. So if they can catch you in that personnel grouping, they're going to be able to take advantage of it is Georgia. So keep an eye on that. The second thing, or I guess the, the second part of this is Ohio State's defense. And for them with Jim Knowles, I love the way that they play defense. I know the, the, the Michigan game feels a little bit bitter if you're an Ohio State Buckeye fan, but the way that Jim Knowles operates is just like his former team he was with a year ago. Cowboy kind of attitude. Oklahoma State Cowboys, that's who Jim Knowles is, man. He is a cowboy. He is going to play high risk, high reward, play for keeps. That's how we get down if we're Ohio State. What they're going to do a lot of is – Add players into that box to try and stop the bleeding for the Georgia run game. Because Georgia, like I said, they're going to be who they want to be until you stop it. Well, the way they're going to stop it, when they have those tight ends on the field, they're going to bring a safety closer to the line of scrimmage. And so if they can do that, it's going to make it a little bit easier to dial up some blitzes. Because that's also what what Georgia, excuse me, rather, that's, that's, that's what Ohio State wants to make Georgia do. If you can stop the run and get a third and seven, well, guess what? Then you have the opportunity to be a little bit creative. You can bring that extra safety. You can run a little twist because it's an obvious passing situation. On third and seven, likely Georgia's going to throw the football. When you know they're throwing the football, you have a chance to dial up a pass rush. So a lot of this, this game, rather, I think, when Georgia has the football, will be predicated on first and second down. Can Ohio State get at least one stop in those first two downs? Even better, can they get a negative play within those first two downs and force an obvious passing situation? Because then JT, JT Tui Moloau is going to be able to eat. Okay, and if he can eat, good things are going to happen for Ohio State. That's a, that's a big if because you have to get past that Georgia offensive line Real good, but that's going to be the way that you would like to live if you're Ohio State, all right? So, in summary, Georgia's going to let you get what you get underneath until you get to the red zone. For Ohio State, can you break tackles? Can you make a miss in space? Can you get some yak? That's what we need for Ohio State. Make some game-breaking plays. Because when you get to the red zone, Georgia goes street fight mode. One-on-one, -on -one, you versus me, mono we mono can you beat us? Most people haven't consistently beat us. And if you do, 
good on you. Flipping things over for Ohio State, they are going to try and stop the run as much as possible on those first two downs. Georgia's going to be who they want to be until you make them do otherwise. Can you make them do otherwise? It's going to be very, very important in this game. So I'm excited to see it. Those are the game plans, how I see it unfolding for the Peach Bowl. But I promise you, entertainment value will be high. This is going to be a physical football game. People talk about Ohio State and what they didn't do against Michigan. I promise you, they've watched the tape. They've heard about it for weeks now about how they couldn't hold up against Georgia or against, against Michigan, how they won't be able to hold up against Georgia. They've internalized all that, and we're going to see them play, in my opinion, their most inspired and toughest brand of football to this point in the year. Should be a whole lot of fun. Can't wait to watch it. Roll party. Golly. It's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch that one, too. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. Two programs that I think are some of the best organizations in the entire country. And for the longest time, what were we saying? I can't wait for Georgia, Ohio State in the national championship game. Right? Because Ohio State was at two, Georgia was at one, and that was the, the hymnal everyone was singing from. We're going to see Georgia, Ohio State in the national championship. Well, plot twist, we get them in the semifinal. How about that? Let's switch gears here for a second. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, is doing exactly what we all knew he would do, which is just dominate the portal. Most charisma of any college football coach out there, no disrespect to Shane Beamer, no disrespect to Matt Rule, but Dion is that guy. And we knew he'd do well in the transfer portal, but there's a little bit more to this that I think we need to, to talk about. Because he's got the number two portal class right now. He's got the number one portal player in Travis Hunter. He's got 15 commits. He's got 10 guys transferring out of his program, which by nature, what we saw in that team meeting Sounds like it was kind of the plan. I'll leave it at that. There's some more facets to this. So without further ado, the first thing that I think we need to pay attention to, he's getting the, the big fish. He's getting the big time pieces. The reason why this is important, just think about human nature in general. We feel better when we see people do something first, when we know, okay, I can jump off that diving board. Why? Because I saw three other people do it before me. It's safe. Stakes were high. They did it. It all worked out. They're getting the star power to the program at Boulder. Because the way that this could look to some people from the outside looking in is, hey, if I'm a top recruit, do I really want to go and be a part of Deion Sanders' first program at the Power 5 level? That's awesome. Did it at the FCS level. Love Deion Sanders. But do I really want to risk my development and risk my future NFL career, if this doesn't work out at Boulder, where they were a 1-11 team last year, it's risky. Well, you have guys like Travis Hunter, number one player in the portal. Jimmy Horn, who they just got from USF. He is a receiver, a four-star caliber player. Guy with a lot at stake in terms of what he wants to do at the professional level. This is a big move for him. Levante Bentley, four-star linebacker from Clemson. All those guys, I promise you, have NFL aspirations. And so... With them saying, you know what, we trust Dion to get us to where we want to be, that's going to give guys a little bit more sense of just a little exhale. Okay, they're doing it. They trust Dion, and they want to play in the NFL. 
I can trust them too. If I'm a three star or if I'm whatever kind of star, I can trust that people with a lot on the line are looking to Dion to get them to achieve their goals. I think that's going to be a huge domino. Those dominoes, rather, are enormous for the players that are seeing that happen and that are going to follow them to be a part of what's being built in Colorado. If you haven't yet subscribed, now's the time. We got you for Coach Prime coverage, Travis Hunter coverage. College football is a 12-month-a-year sport. We don't take a break. I know y'all don't either in terms of keeping up with this thing. So we got you right here. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Also, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Those are two places where we do content we don't necessarily do right here. And we also do a lot of interaction on there that we can incorporate then into this program, which is the best part of this whole operation. It's a community, all right? So he's got the big fish, but here's the other thing. Have you paid attention to this when you've seen how many commits he's gotten and at what position? He has eight of his 15 transfers as what I like to call trench players. That means offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers, a tight end who puts your hand in the dirt. That's all a part of being a tough football team. Teams that win games, especially late in the year, they're tough football teams. I mean, look at the college football playoff. You got Michigan, you got Georgia, you got TCU, you got Ohio State. All those programs are tough programs. So I'm not saying Colorado's going to play for the college football playoff next season, but I'm saying they're taking the correct step to become a tough brand. Because quite frankly, they have to. They have to revamp what they had last year because last year ain't good enough, y'all. I'm not saying anything crazy right here. They had 109 yards a game rushing. It's triple digits in terms of where they rank in the country. Not very good at all. They were, I believe they were 129th in the country in terms of yards allowed on the ground per game. 248. Folks, here's the deal. If they didn't, or if they don't rather, they're still doing it, but if they didn't revamp in the portal in the trenches, it's great that you have Shadur Sanders playing quarterback. I know that's Deion Sanders' son, and they believe in him. That's phenomenal. That's great you got Travis Hunter, number one player in the transfer portal. He's going to help you at wide receiver. He's going to help you at corner. He's a, a special player. But it doesn't matter what moves you have, what kind of punches you can throw in a fight, if you're just taking jaw punches all game long. And that was what Colorado did a year ago, just routinely. Weren't able to move the football on the ground. And then when the opposition had the football, they could just run power. They could run inside zone. And you end up on Coach 30's TikTok or Instagram or whatever platform, just getting embarrassed. So they're starting to revamp that, and they're doing it at really critical positions. Okay? That's a very big deal. Travis Hunter and a lot of these guys with, with stars next to their name are important. But if you want to get this program to where – it, it needs to be to compete for conference championships. I mean, look at what Utah did in the Pac-12 title game. It was student body left, student body right. Our big boys are better than your big boys. And that's why we're winning this football game in convincing fashion. So that's very, very important. And good on Dion for making sure they re-up there accordingly. They're replacing the foundation at Colorado. Think about it like a house. As a house last year, Colorado was 1-11. It's not a nice house. Take it a step further, it was a bad foundation, a 1-11 foundation. So the thing that I'm pleased with from Deion Sanders and the thing that we knew he would do, what Coach Prime is doing, 
They're getting quantity, like 15 transfers. That's a lot, folks. And guess what? There's another wave of transfer portal guys that are going to be there eventually, that are going to hit the portal and hit the open waters and see what they can get. Colorado is going to be a more attractive destination because of that, because of the caliber of players they're getting in there. So they're, they're not done at 15. I promise you we're live right now on a Thursday, and it is, what is it, Nick, uh, December 28th, 29th, 29th. Uh, here's the reality. They're going to get a lot more players. Like I mentioned the date there. I give it a timestamp because it's going to be a lot more than 15 when this whole thing is said and done. Okay, so the reason why that's important, they needed to have a total overhaul of that foundation. Is it complete yet? Of course not. They're still building it. It's still going to take some time. But the quantity is very, very important for Deion Sanders. If they just added Travis Hunter, that's great. But guess what? You're still probably winning two, three games. If you just added Shador Sanders, maybe that helps you as well. But you're not getting to be a bowl-eligible football team. I think that's very, very interesting that they're adding so much quantity. Shows a lot of self-awareness. And like I said, we knew he was going to do it, but to have 15 transfers already, it's, it's a very good sign of things to come in Boulder, Colorado. So they've got the star power, which is an enormous recruiting tool for high school recruits, but also transfer portal guys. He has a lot at stake and he's coming to Boulder, Colorado. What excuse do I have? That five-star Travis Hunter, he's at Colorado. He trusts Dion with his development to get him to the NFL. I trust him too. A lot of trench players. Got to have the mask. Got to have the USDA-approved sirloin. Got to have the Wagyu beef to be able to compete late in the season and to be a tough football team. They weren't tough last year. Eight of the 15 guys they have committed right now via the portal, trench guys. Very, very important. Also, the quantity. House is being built. Had to knock it down a little bit and had to replace the foundation, but they're doing it right now, and they're going to have a lot more than 15 guys when it's all said and done via the portal. Okay, so Coach Prime is doing exactly what we knew he would do. Colorado's going to be fun to watch, man. Colorado's going to be an exciting program these next few years. And uh, I'll tell you what, I don't know what our schedule is next year in terms of what we'll be doing on Saturdays. There's a lot of rumblings about what we could be doing, similar to maybe what we did for the Michigan-Ohio State game. And uh, I'll just say this. If that does end up happening, if that does end up being the case, Boulder, Colorado has got to be a destination. Even if you're just a fan, you're going to travel for games, get out to Boulder because that's going to be a show. If for nothing else, it's going to be interesting and going to be a whole lot of fun to watch Coach Prime on the sidelines, man. Build an absolute program. Okay. A little bit of lemon-lime. Good to go. If you're watching the podcast, a little more Pedialyte. Um, if you haven't yet gotten in your question, Nick Brake's keeping the queue, and we want to make sure we get to those as efficiently and as effectively as possible. So jump in right now, hit us with your question, and we'll get to that ASAP as possible. If you get it, you get it. All right, let's go back to the game plans. Because like I said, everybody wants to talk about the concepts and the players and their feelings about the game. Let's talk about the X's and O's. Let's talk about the approach and the plan of attack for Michigan and TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. This is a, a true tale of two styles. You got TCU, which is high-flying, wheeling and dealing, scoring a lot of points kind of offense. Max Duggan was in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, deservedly so. Sonny Dykes 
and his M.O. have allowed this offense and this program to be really explosive. On the other side, you got Michigan, who is just hard hat, lunch pail, blue collar. We're the bullies. You're going to have to deal with us today. J.J. McCarthy said it postgame in the Ohio State uh, victory press conference where he just said it's like the pipes burst at some point. We're going to wear on you. We're going to wear on you. We're going to wear on you. We're going to keep applying that pressure. And at some point, we believe you're going to crack. We believe those pipes are going to burst. So when it comes to what Michigan's doing on offense, what TCU's doing on defense, let's set the table here a little bit. We'll start with the Wolverines. The mantra in my mind when watching the tape of this Michigan offense is we do us. Like, you can line up in whatever you want, and we're going to run our same stuff. So that's not to say Michigan doesn't have answers for different defenses, and they don't have schemes and game plans and all that, but the reality is they're going to be, at least in the early going, a tone-setting kind of offense. So what you can expect when watching Michigan at home, they're going to run a whole lot of power and inside zone. I'll start with power. Power, to give it its most simplistic explanation, is we're going to hand the ball to our running back. And while that's happening, we're going to have one of our offensive linemen, most notably the guard, pulling out, getting around the corner, and coming full speed ahead at your linebacker. It is a man-blocking scheme, meaning I, as a man, got that man. You, as a man, got that man. You got that man. You got that man. So there's a personal responsibility for who you're supposed to block. And you only call that if you like your man better than their man. And for Michigan, they have made it abundantly clear they will take their big boys over your big boys nine times out of ten. Let me say that again. They will take them 11 times out of 10. I forgot there was three times counted in four uh, on, on Saturday. So that would factor into, yeah, that, that fraction works out well. Okay, but you get the point here. Michigan is going to make it a point to run the football downhill at you a lot of this game. For inside zone, it's really the same attitude, just a different way to do it. They're going to, as a unit, just take you out of your gap. They're going to take you against your will where you want to be and allow their running back to sort out the mess. That's the most simplistic way to say it. There's a lot of X's and O's that go into that, but that's really what it boils down to. It's a tone setting thing. It is an asserting your will kind of thing if you're Michigan. So the reason why I think they're becoming more and more dangerous, and those of you that have watched a lot of Michigan football can attest to this, they're starting to develop that other level, that other counterpunch, if you will. They've always had the right hook. They could throw that a lot of the time and beat most people. But to win games now in the college football playoff and how they beat Ohio State and how they can compete for a national title is being able to have the pass game involved a little bit more. And for TCU, we'll get to them in a second, but they are really aggressive and creative with how they use those safeties. They play three of them in the game. And the reason why that's important, when you have three safeties on the field, more often than not, one of those guys is rolling up to try and help on the run. And so what I expect to happen in this game for Michigan in the past game, I think they're going to challenge those safeties just a little bit. They're going to take the apron, put it on J.J. McCarthy, give him a nice, chef's, uh, nice little chef's hat, and let him cook. Let J.J. cook a little bit in this game. I think that's something that you could end up seeing because if you don't challenge those safeties at all, they're going to try to add in and add in and add in and continue to roll up and try and be a factor and crowd that box and make that picture murky for your offensive line. 
Now, Michigan, I want to make this clear. They will run the football at you until it doesn't work. You could very, very easily see J.J. McCarthy have like 15 attempts in this game if TCU doesn't stop the run. But again, if J.J. McCarthy can keep them honest on the back end and cause those safeties to think twice about how close they're playing to the line and how quickly they're triggering on, triggering on the run, that would be advantage Michigan 1 million percent. So that's what Michigan's going to do in offense. Also, don't be surprised if Colston Loveland lines up in some funky places. In the Big Ten championship game, they lined him up at fullback, snuck him out on a wheel route. And the reason that's important is because depending on where players lined up, it dictates who the defense can cover. And when you're lined up at fullback, either the defense just doesn't really account for you or you end up on an advantageous matchup. And for Colston Loveland, he's a big boy, about six foot four, six foot five, and he can run as a tight end. Keep an eye on where they line him up at, because I think he's going to have a big impact on this game and how they get him the football creatively. So on the flip side of things, when TCU is on defense, they run a 3-3-5. We're not here to get super football nerdy with you because that's just difficult to do, quite frankly, in regards to talking about it. But the reality is when you run a 3-3-5 defense, that is confusing because you have three defensive linemen, you have three linebackers, and you have five defensive backs. Now, traditional football would have you rushing four people. So you have those three down linemen that are going to rush the quarterback. Well, guess what? There is one more person that is likely going to come from somewhere on that defense and try to attack the quarterback. And it's tricky for the offense because you don't know who that fourth guy is going to be. It could be one of those five defensive backs. It could be one of those linebackers. You don't know. It's a guessing game. So that's why it's going to be interesting to watch what TCU does because they're going to try and confuse J.J. McCarthy. Sonny Dyke said as much, we got to stop the run, and if we can stop the run, make the quarterback beat us, that's how we want to live. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's how Sonny Dykes feels about his football team. So expect a whole lot of safety movement with the safety rolling down at the snap, or maybe he's dropping back at the snap, or just doing a bunch of funky things. And then on top of that, they're going to use that safety to, I would venture to say, a frequent amount of the time, crowd the box. Now you say, what is the box, J.D.? You all this lingo. What's, what is the box? Uh, it's not the song, but it is, however, that three to four yards of space from the offensive and defensive line to the linebackers. It's like an imaginary rectangle, if you will, that you draw around that defensive line up to where the linebackers are. So you're going to roll an extra person into that box to just have more bodies to try and stop Michigan's run game. They've made no negotiations about it. They're going to try to stop the run and make J.J. McCarthy beat you. It's a tall task, but TCU, I'll tell you what, with Joe Gillespie, they're pretty aggressive on defense, and they are fairly exotic on defense, and... They've had this chip on their shoulder mentality the entirety of their season. They've had this whole, you don't believe in us, we don't really care. Spoiler alert, we don't really care. That's going to be the same kind of approach they take in this game defensively. So keep an eye on that. The linebackers for TCU, the verbiage we use in the football world is they're going to play downhill. Think about it this way. When you're running down a hill, it doesn't matter how much you try to stop, your momentum's carrying you forward. You are going to get down that hill pretty quickly. 
That's the same kind of style that this linebacking core is going to play for TCU. They're going to trigger quickly, and they are going to trust their keys, and they are going to get after that running back and get after that run play as quickly as possible to minimize the damage. So they've, they've watched tape, too. They saw what Michigan did to the rest of the country. That's going to be what they try and stop. So the reason why that's interesting, if it works, changes the entire game, right? Then it plays the kind of style that TCU wants to play which I'm not here to talk about. I'm not here to talk about whether J.J. McCarthy can beat you or not. I think that's a little bit foolish to think that's the only way you could win this football game. But I would just say this. If they don't play assignment sound football, if they misread the gap and they think, okay, it's going outside and they run outside and really quickly it becomes an inside play and you're out of position, when you trigger downhill quickly, you have not much time to recover. So meaning if you trigger quickly, you had better be right. So diagnosing the play and reading the keys effectively, meaning I know what the play is as it happens and I trust what I'm seeing here because of what I saw on tape, that's going to be paramount for TCU if they want to play quickly downhill to try and stop the run. You with me? If you haven't yet subscribed, we got you covered, baby. Now is the time. You love college football. Guess what we do too. We, we love college football just like you, man. And this is the time to make sure you're locked in with us. Make sure you're subscribed because we got a ton of content coming downhill at you, just like those TCU linebackers, okay? So, playoffs about to happen. National championship's going to happen. And then it's recruiting season, as it has been for the last however many months. I shouldn't say it's going to be. It's going to continue to be recruiting season, transfer portal season, turning up the heat. Don't want you to miss anything, so subscribe. Also, follow me on the socials at Jody Paquel on Twitter and on Instagram. A lot of interaction. You can put it in the show. The best part of this whole thing we do, okay? When Michigan's on defense, that's where I think this is going to be kind of the tale of, of how this game goes. Because we know TCU's explosive offensively. Sonny Dykes is an offensive guy. They're scoring around 40 points a game. TCU can score some. So if Michigan can minimize that and then get what they want in the run game, that's the, I mean, that's the recipe, right? That's the recipe that they beat Ohio State with. That would be the recipe that they could beat TCU with. Here's the wrinkle. Max Duggan for TCU is a really good runner, really good athlete, and you saw the game against Kansas State. He wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's not afraid to run downhill at you. He's not afraid to use contact and try to beat you with his athleticism. That's who he is. And so when you have a quarterback who is, such an athletic threat and who can run as well as him, you need to do what I like to call a spy. I say what I like to call, like I invented the term. You, you should do what the football world calls a spy. And what does that mean? It just means on a pass play, we always have one guy sitting probably in the middle of the field somewhere at a linebacker more often than not. Could be a safety in this scenario. You have one guy responsible for Max Duggan. So I don't have too much pass responsibility I can help on that. I can help in the run game. But my job is to follow Max Duggan. He goes left, I go left. He rolls to his right, I roll to, to my right. If he goes to TGI Fridays, guess what, baby? Get us a booth. We're going to TGI Fridays, all right? That's my responsibility if I'm spying Max Duggan. So I think that's crucial because if he's able to get loose and you don't keep an eye on him with his legs, it's going to hurt you. He's made a habit of it all year long, and he is dangerous enough to where that could be the kind of game that TCU would win if you don't bottle him up with his dual threat capabilities. The other thing you got to do if you're Michigan, and what I expect them to do, they're going to play a lot of man coverage. 
And I'm not saying this so much from an opinion standpoint. It's just what they do. And you say, well, they got, we, we got Quentin Johnston, right? He's going to be a guy that plays in the NFL for a long time. He is an absolute baller. Yes, I, I agree with you. So was Marvin Harrison Jr. And they were content to just play on the outside with him. They're going to be physical. They're going to put their hands on him at the line of scrimmage. And similar to what we said Georgia's going to do in the red zone, Michigan's going to do that a lot of the game. doesn't matter if it's just in the red zone or not. They're going to play man coverage. So why that's important is because when you're in man coverage, you are able to trigger better on those short passes. Specifically, I'm talking about the bubble screens. And TCU does a really good job at this. Get the ball out to your, to your playmakers in the space. Tay Barber or Quentin Johnston. Or, I mean, insert any athletic player they have here. They get the ball out to him in space and let him cook. Let him work. When you're playing man coverage, you're able to engage with that block quicker. You have your eyes in a better spot because you're looking right at that receiver instead of looking back at the quarterback. And then you're able to trigger quicker on making a tackle. Okay, so it's supposed to minimize the sort of uh, dink and dunk space plays that TCU is going to try and make. Now, the danger with that is when you're so aggressive in playing man coverage, similar to what I said about getting downhill for the TCU linebackers, if those Michigan defensive backs trigger too quickly, well, then that's just playing right into Sonny Dykes and Max Duggan's hands. Then they can just get a little double move, get a little fake screen and go, and you are just running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You're just seeing color and running to it instead of actually diagnosing the play. So there's a, there's a, a method to the madness a little bit, but keep an eye on that back and forth between the TCU receiving core and the Michigan secondary because they are going to let those guys play. I'm just telling you right now, they are going to trust the physical ability and the ball skills of their playmakers on both sides, really. Max Duggan's going to put it up, and Michigan and their defensive backs are going to let their guys play, which I love. I think that's what it comes down to in games like this is personnel, but they're going to let them have it out, okay? Lastly, the TCU offense, we kind of already alluded to it. They are going to test the waters. I mean, they know that Michigan's going to play some man coverage, and they're okay with that. Hey, if we lose because you had better players than us, because you just matched up better on the outside, so be it. Now, on top of that, they're going to feed Kendra Miller, but I think it's going to be more so a pass to set up the run scenario. They're going to try and loosen up that front seven of Michigan, that linebacking group and that defensive line of Michigan, try to loosen the box up a little bit and then take some shots while doing that, but then hand it to Kendra Miller. Have the inside zone stuff. That's going to be kind of their bread and butter, I believe. So pass first, run second, and then finally, here's the biggest thing I'm going to say for TCU when you're watching this football game. When it's fourth and goal, game's on the line, and TCU's got one play. If it's a short yardage play, I would 1 million percent expect them to put the ball in Max Duggan's hands. Now, that could be a rollout play, but I'm thinking more specifically, I expect a ton of quarterback design runs from Max Duggan. You heard what I said about spying him. That's going to be a thing when the play breaks down. But for TCU, you are in the playoff for a reason. And that reason, where's number 15? So when the game's on the line, you didn't do it in the Big 12 title game, you're not making that same mistake twice. You're letting 15 go ahead and try and win the game for you. He's going to have his impact on this game, both running the football and throwing the football. And you're going to make sure his legs have an impact because you're going to call a fair amount of design runs. 
So Michigan, the reason why that's interesting is because when you have a quarterback design run, guess what you have? An extra blocker. Because in a running back run play, you have one player that's not blocking anybody, and that's the quarterback. He's turning around, handing the ball off to the running back, probably watching them play, carrying out a fake, whatever it is. On a quarterback design run, you have Kendra Miller or whoever the running back is probably lead blocking or playing a factor in helping take away one more defender. So that's another reason why you like it. At the end of the day, I think it's going to be similar to what I said about the other football game, high entertainment value. I think it'll be back and forth in a chess game in the beginning of the game. But those are the game plans in my mind for both Michigan offensively and defensively. And then the Horn Frogs of TCU on both sides of the football as well. Should be a whole lot of fun. We'll be locked in for it. You better believe it. But that's how I see those game plans shaken out on New Year's Eve. Fiesta Bowl, baby. Party Bowl, as we like to call it. All right, if you haven't yet gotten into the chat, we would absolutely love, absolutely love to hear from you. This is your show. This is, this is a community for the people, by the people. Okay, so get your question right now. Nick break. Going to get to them in a minute. Keep the party rolling, and we'll have a good time here, all right, after one more sip of this elixir of life. Okay, good to go. All right, one more segment here, baby. Let's get after it. Like I said, one more segment, not because we're looking to the end of this thing, but because we want to hear from y'all, okay? So get your questions in ASAP. If you're on podcast as well, if you're listening to us right now, you can get them in the, in the comment section, and we'll go back and make sure we pick the questions from these episodes to get to y'all, all right? Here's the conversation I'm not sure we're ready to have yet. There's four teams left. You got TCU, you got Ohio State, you got Georgia, and you got Michigan. And I think a lot of people are picking Georgia to win the whole thing, and that's great. We did a segment the other day on what would it mean for Georgia to win another national title. It's a very fair talking point. But I don't know if we're ready to have this conversation. What would it mean for the good folks of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and everybody within that program if Michigan wins a national title? I mean, just sit with that feeling for a second. I think it'd be enormous. Think about it this way. If Michigan wins a national title, it would mean that everything that Jim Harbaugh has put into place and his entire journey since being the head coach at Michigan has worked, especially this season. Think about it this way. New coordinators, new quarterback, offense people questioned for years. People have said, I don't know if you can win that way. I don't know if that's the formula you can win a national championship with. If it works, it just means that Jim Harbaugh bet on himself, bet on his way and won. And Jim Harbaugh, make no mistake, he is the common denominator. He is the reason why you would win the national title. And I don't want to take anything away from the personnel because obviously that's what ends up winning you the national title in a literal sense. But I say Jim Harbaugh deserves a ton of credit because the variables have shifted so much since he's been there. I mean, he's been building this culture. He's been building this recruiting base. We'll talk about it here in a second. He's been consistently growing this thing at the home base for a minute now. And for him to be able to win a national title his way, to win it his way, I think it would be, it'd be a, it'd change the entire conversation around how we talk about Jim Harbaugh. Remember a few years ago, 
where we were saying, I don't even know if Jim Harbaugh's the right guy for Michigan. That's great. He played there. That's great that he loves the program. That's great that he brings so much excitement and enthusiasm. But I don't know if he's the right guy for Michigan. Well, if they do it this year, take the remote, point it right at the haters, mute button. And then you probably take the batteries out and you just walk away because that's the kind of reality we would be living in. Jim Harbaugh's way and everything that he bet on worked. I think it also would be a testament to the slow build because today in modern college football in the transfer portal and NIL, and I'm not against those things by any stretch of the imagination, but we see these programs in one year. TCU is a great example in one year, just totally turn it around. Michigan has been building this for a minute. Michigan has been slowly but surely rising in the ranks in some ways rising in the shadows and they're now stepping out into the spotlight. And if they win a national title, that would be the exclamation mark. I think it would also provide a ton of momentum on the recruiting trail. More on that in a second. But if you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you at the party, baby. You know what it is. We got you covered 12 months out of the year. We don't take a break. I know you don't take a break caring about college football. I sure as heck don't. I did it before I had this job. Grateful to be behind the mic now and to be able to be a, a, a conduit of what I would hope is, is your passion for this game as it is mine, make sure you're locked in. Make sure you're subscribed. We're not going to steer you astray. Okay? Also, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's a great way for us to interact. At JD Paquel. A great back and forth. A great way for us to do more of what you want to see on this program. Not a program, but a program. Okay? We'll keep on rolling from there. I think this would, like I said, provide a, a foot-in-the-ground moment on the recruiting trail. Because for the last, I don't know how many years, of recent history, not all to do with the things going on on the field at Michigan, it's been a development over acquisition. What I mean by that can be illustrated in what Michigan's doing right now on the recruiting trail. Currently, the number 20 class at the time of us being live in the on-three consensus team recruiting rankings. It's pretty good, right? Well, for Michigan, they're in the college football playoff. They have developed good talent, but they're not just stacked with five stars. They're not just stacked with these blue chip guys, really good football players, but they have gotten the most out of the guys that have decided they want to be a part of this program. They have gotten the most out of guys that said yes to signing on to Jim Harbaugh's vision. And that's worth something. In the day and age of going out and shopping and getting the very best player possible to build it via the recruiting trail and have some staying power there and do more with a class that is on paper less than Ohio State, less than you know Alabama, that would be really impressive. And I'm not knocking those other programs. I'm just trying to make a testament and trying to speak to the impressive nature of Michigan being in the college football playoff and not recruiting quite the same as some of these other programs are. But if you win the national championship, 180. I know there's some conversation around Jim Harbaugh and the NFL from last year. I get that. That probably hurt recruiting. But the entire perception of Michigan would shift. Do you know why? Because national titles bring you exposure. You know why exposure matters? Because these kids that commit to these schools, they want to play in the NFL. And if you win a national championship, just ask Georgia from last year, a lot of your guys get drafted. There's an old saying that we had, know your role, we all get paid. Same thing for Michigan. You can sell that then. You can sell, hey, you want to come play in the NFL? You want to go pro and do big-time things? You can already do that being at Michigan. 
you're already getting a lot of exposure, but if you win a national title, you can sell that even more. I'm saying the exposure factor goes up a couple notches. The excitement factor goes up a couple notches around Michigan. The side effect, I'm going to say this right now because it's a very real thing, the side effect of this would be for a brief moment in time, until they put out the fire, the Jim Harbaugh to the NFL rumors would ramp up tremendously. Hey, he did everything he wanted to do at Michigan, right? He did it all. He, he went there and played there, and he brought a title back. Mission accomplished. Deal done. Jim Harbaugh, get back to the NFL. He'd get interest. I 1,000% believe that. Would he take it? I don't know. I would love to see Jim Harbaugh stay in the college game, but I'm just saying that attention would be warranted, but he can very easily squash that if he wants to stay at Michigan. So that's a side effect, but I think it's a reality. The recruiting juice would very much so kick up access to a lot of guys that want to play for a national championship caliber program. Okay. Also just making the pitch that, Hey, if you want to go be great, if you want to compete at the highest level, you want to be a part of a dynasty we're building here. Want to be a part of the next one coming to Michigan. It's a powerful recruiting tool. Just telling you right now, I think this would also nationally be the, we have arrived moment because Michigan is a historic brand. I mean, when you think about college football, you think of a couple schools, Michigan is within that top three, if not the top school you think of. Pageantry, tradition, winning. I mean, all those things are Michigan. But the reality is, for kids that have grown up in the 90s and and 2000s, that hasn't really been Michigan. Yes, they've been relevant, but have they won national championships? Have they been the Michigan of old? Not really. And that's okay, but because you can turn the tide with this. You can have the we have arrived, plant the flag, back atop the college football mountaintop. That could be what this is for Michigan. And I don't really know if that is anything different than what I just said about the juice you get from a recruiting standpoint. But I think from a pride standpoint, the good people in Ann Arbor would very much like to see that be a reality. Would very much like to puff their chest out once again, and wear the crown. Because think about what that would mean. It means you beat Ohio State, you won the Big Ten, and likely, you will not likely, you would have beaten Ohio State a second time, or you would have beat Georgia, the big dog in the SEC. And something tells me those good people that wear maize and blue every Saturday would love to have that feather in their cap as well. So for Michigan... Winning a natty means Harbaugh's way worked and good on the people in Ann Arbor for trusting that process and giving him time to get some jewelry. Would also mean that they have some new juice in the recruiting trail. That foot in the ground moment. Number 20 class right now, if they win the national title, I would guarantee it. They have a lot of guys with stars next to their name that take a second look at that school in Ann Arbor. And finally, it's from a pride perspective, from a perception perspective, it shifts the way that we look at Michigan. It is the we have arrived once again feeling in Ann Arbor and for that program. So they still got to do it. Still two more games left to be played. But I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation and just be candid about what this would mean if Michigan does, in fact, win a national title with Jim Harbaugh. They're going to have a shot, man. I'll just say that. They are going to have a shot. Got to get past TCU and then the winner of Georgia-Ohio State. But they're going to have a shot.
And they're in the dance now for the second year in a row. And that was the mission this year. The mission was to get back to this deal and win a national title. Last year, they were hoping to beat Ohio State. They were hoping to win a, a Big Ten title, something they hadn't done in a while. This year, it has been a happy mission, as Jim Harbaugh likes to say. Okie doke. So, right now, if you haven't gotten a question, get them in, because we're bringing on the heavy lifter, the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Brake, keeper of the queue. Nick, how we doing, my guy? Uh, happy early New Year's. Yeah, same to you, J.D., um, even though we'll be ringing in the New Year's together uh, on Saturday night watching mm -hmm. these games. Uh, lots of questions. Uh, first from Chris Law, J.D., do you see Auburn having a 10-win season in 2023? Ooh, 10 wins. 10 wins is a lot. I'll just say that. 10 wins in the SEC would be really impressive for year one under Hugh Freeze. I want to withhold my opinion on this until we find out who the quarterback's going to be. So maybe I'll revisit this in the future, but 10 wins is a lot. I would lean no. They still can make some moves in the portal. If they get the quarterback they need, there's a chance that could happen. But I mean, gosh, short of someone like Sam Hartman, I have a hard time getting on board with that. The SEC is just so tough, man. And Auburn doesn't get an easy break anytime in the schedule. So I'll go ahead and say no right now, but we'll withhold our judgment until we uh, know who QB1 is going to be down there in Auburn, Alabama. Appreciate it, Chris. Yeah. Appreciate it, my man. Uh, well, Gabriel says, JD, called you my guy, um, says, do you think that Lincoln Riley and the USC staff will get it done in the transfer portal to fix their defensive issues in their front seven, J.D. Yeah, Gabriel, my guy. Um, in short, <laughs> I think they need to. Because if they don't, my fear is they would waste the last year of Caleb Williams' time at USC. Like, he's probably not coming back after next year. Probably going to go pro and good on him, becoming a professional, making a whole lot of money, as he should, as he eventually will. But you have the special quarterback to win a national title. You have the special quarterback to make the college football playoff. I think the portal has to be how they get it done. They're going to build in the trenches on the recruiting trail, and I do think they're going to eventually become even more relevant than they already are in California and nationally That with that USC brand having some juice again. But I, I think they will. I'm just curious if it's going to be enough to get them over the hump. Because we all saw it. I mean, you saw it. I saw it. Nick Brakes saw it. Utah just took them to the woodshed in that Pac-12 title game, and it happened in the trenches. So I believe they will. I think it'll have to be a quantity play as well as a quality pay, as, as well as a quality play. Because the trenches, you and I both know, it can't just be one guy. I mean, USC had the nation's leader in sacks in Tui Tui Pelotu, and it's, I mean, still, that wasn't enough for them to be a, a truly tough team on the defensive line. So quality and quantity will be enormous in the transfer portal. So I think they will. We'll see if it's enough. To answer your question, Gabe, I do think that they will make, a, make some moves on the, on the lines of scrimmage. Great question, though, Gabriel. Appreciate it, my man. Yeah, um, JD, this is from Kyle. Just came in. JD, how good do you think Georgia will be next year if they win this year's national championship? I mean, I don't think it really has too much to do with this year's national championship. I think they're going to be really good next year. Um, we had a segment on it, I believe it was earlier in this week. Kirby Smart's building a program. Not just a program, but a program, meaning it has some staying power. They have recruited at an elite level. People are going to make the argument they're going to take a step forward in the past game next year with who they have at quarterback. I think that's maybe a little bit of a reach. But I think they definitely will be right back where they were this year. 
if they're not in the college football playoff, they'll be playing for an SEC championship. A lot of it still rides on the quarterback, but they will have the personnel to compete and beat anybody in the country. But a great question, Kyle. And yeah, I think Georgia's going to be right in this spot again next year, to be honest with you. Yeah. Er, I mean, early take, but mm-hmm. shoot, that's the way it feels, man. The dogs, dogs like to eat. Dogs yeah. like to eat, and they made a habit of eating consistently, and they've done it on the recruiting show. They also got two big-time receivers very quietly over the uh, the break, I say in quotations, with Rob Rod Thomas from Mississippi State, Dominique Lovett from Missouri, two of the best receivers in the portal deciding they want to go play in Athens. And guys that Kirby said have competed in the SEC, which I think is interesting that he made sure to make a note of that, that, hey, they've played some big-time college football. We're not just plucking these guys from the Ivy League. They can play some ball, okay? And they've done it at the SEC. No knock on the Ivy League, obviously. There's some big-time guys making some uh, some portal moves from that conference as well. But anyways, I think they're going to be going to be real good again, Nick. What else we got, Big Dog? Got time for two more? Uh, two more. Yeah, that sounds good. Drago is back. Love it. Who is rooting for TCU and the playoffs. Wants to know, um, how do you think Duggan's going to handle Georgia, potentially Ohio State, and then and first Michigan? Do you think – there's going to be struggles for uh, for Max, or do you think we see prime 2022 season Max Duggan here in the playoffs, J.D.? Yeah, man, Max Duggan slinging it around the yard. Man, I just think that – I hesitate how to answer this. I am very interested to see how much Michigan chooses to heat him up from a blitz standpoint. Because Max Duggan, very talented athlete – Really good thrower of the football. The one hesitation I have with him is when the play breaks down and his number one receiver isn't there, he likes to get off and run, which is great. I mean, it's great because he's such a good athlete, but against a defense like Michigan, who has some pretty solid team speed and has really answered the call to every single task so far, I am just curious what it'll look like for him going from first read to second read to third read because they will eventually have to throw the football against this Michigan football team. I mean, they're going to just dare them from the jump. We said it in our, pre- in our preview. They're going to dare them to throw the football in one-on-one coverage. Can he do that? And how much does Michigan speed up that shot clock? Um, I think he will have a good performance. I don't think we see like a meltdown from Max Duggan. We've made our pick in this game already. I do think Michigan wins the game, but... Uh, I do think that Max Duggan will have some success, but a lot of it will fall on how much he is able to diagnose those blitz packages. Great question, though. Drago, a friend of the program, he's always, I say always, to my understanding, he is consistently one of the first people in the chat getting a question. So, Drago, we appreciate you, man. We appreciate you watching the show. We love that you're getting a question in, man. Glad to have you. Glad to have you part of the program. Absolutely. Start to finish, Drago's here. Gamer. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. A gamer. Oh, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Um, last question. There's a couple more uh, questions here that I'm looking at, but I think the best one coming from Sammy. Will Clemson make the playoffs with Cade next year? Can can Cade Club Nick bring Clemson to where somewhere it feels like they haven't been in forever? It's just been two years. but And, and so still, it begins. And so it begins, man. Great question. And I promise you we're going to get this question and have a, a conversation about this well after this Orange Bowl is played. Regardless of how Cade Klubnik does, what we saw in that ACC title game was a brand-new-looking Clemson team. And I think it would be foolish to assume that they would have made the playoff this year without I mean, without DJ playing quarterback. People are going to say, should have played Cade Klubnik earlier. They tried to. Dabo told you they tried to in the Notre Dame game. Didn't feel like he was ready. 
looked ready against North Carolina. Okay, now you ball. Um, can they? Absolutely. With the way the ACC is, with how much movement has been going around in the ACC, I believe it's like six or seven quarterbacks have transferred out of that conference and are going to go play their football somewhere else. So the ACC, in my mind, is ripe for the picking. The reality is for Clemson, they likely need to be undefeated. So we'll wait a little bit longer to see who from that defense decides to go pro. But I definitely think that it's a reality for Clemson that they could go undefeated, run the table, get back to the college football playoff. That's what they expect. I mean, that is the standard that Dabo has recalibrated and set for that fan base. So can they get back? Absolutely. Uh, very excited for the Cade Klubnik hype train to get rolling here, man. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Special kid, special player. And uh, looking forward to see him slinging around a little bit. Coming up here against the Vols, man. Should be a great Orange Bowl. Love it. That's all we got, Big Nick. Uh, we got one more. How's Let's do that? one more, man. Let's do it. Okay, one more, because I like this question, too. Um, we're looking towards next year. Uh, Penguin, J.D., what are your thoughts? Well, I guess in a couple of years. J.D., what are your thoughts on USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten? And, you know, how, how is that going to change college football going it's forward? It's great. Great question. It's no secret. The Big Ten is a trenches league. And what did USC and UCLA need to shore up this coming season? When, what was the report card saying for them? I mean, great offense, a lot of points scored, opportunistic defense for, for USC, but got to have the big human beings. And so if I'm USC and UCLA, I am hitting the recruiting trail as hard as I possibly can to prepare myself for Big Ten play. Because you're going to find yourselves in some games in Ann Arbor where that Michigan team doesn't look like they're changing their complexion anytime soon. They are going to play bully ball and make you pay in the trenches Game in and game out, week in and week out, USC and UCLA is going to have to have the big human beings to be able to withstand that. So I think they'll, they'll be successful. I'd probably lean towards USC being more successful earlier on, but I, I don't doubt they can play in the Big Ten. I just am concerned about them being at the elite tier with what they don't have right now in the trenches. So the recruiting trail for them this next year to two years will be absolutely enormous for both those programs. But great question. Nick, man, I appreciate you holding it down, brother. Glad to have you back. Glad to have you behind the mic. Yep. And uh, we'll do this again real soon. We say Tuesday. We'll say Tuesday. Sounds good, man. Good deal, brother. Nick Break again. Best in the business. I'm telling you. A lot of different programs have an entire control room, three or four people working behind the scenes to get all the cameras set just how they like all the graphics. Like, Nick's keeping all the plates spinning. So huge thank you to Nick Break. Really quickly, if you haven't yet subscribed, Now's the time. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast feed, now is also time. That's linked in the description to this video or this show, rather, I guess this YouTube video on Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you in advance for that. Playoff mode's activated, baby. No more talking. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Talking season is done. It's been done for a while, but we have that little gap where the regular season ends and the conference championships happen, and then you get selection Sunday, and then it's, How's this going to go? How's that going to go? Everybody's got an opinion. Everyone's got a take. It's all going to happen on the field now. And that's what we're here for, baby. The football games. It's fun to talk. It's fun to speculate. We're finally going to get it decided between the white lines. And I, for one, can't wait. And if you're watching this program, you're likely a diehard just like us on this program. And I know you can't wait either. So for all of us here, we're so grateful to have you rocking with us. We're so grateful that you have joined this community. You're a part of what we're building here. It's a program. I say it all the time. It's not a program, but it's a program here very much so on the hard count. 
and we are so grateful to have you a part of it. So we're going to keep the party rolling and we will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.